Well, good evening and welcome to Cinema Death Cult. I am your host, Adam Bolger, and tonight we are gathered here together to talk about one of the masters of uh, horror cinema, uh, Wes Craven. Wes Craven, of course, uh, directed... Uh, well, let me back up on this. I think if you if you look up, if, if you were doing a summary of horror greats, of the, the, the classic central horror movies, at least four Wes Craven movies would be on, on there. You'd have to talk about them. I mean, for, you know, uh, The Hills Have Eyes, um, Last House on the Left, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, and Scream. You know, those are four touchstone horror cinema movies. But what's interesting about them is that there's a lot of space between them. Like He had like a four-decade career and um there's a lot of stuff that people there's a lot of stuff in between those classics and to hear me kind of uh, to help me fill in the fill in the blanks and connect the dots on what uh happens between those you know four four you know all timers is returning guest will dodson how you doing will hey i'm doing all right glad to be here yeah i'm really glad to have you and so Tell me about how you came to this and your uh, you've been researching, like, let's say, lesser known Wes Craven work. Tell me about how you come to this and and, and what your project is. All right. So, yeah, I'm a longtime Wes Craven fan. Um, yeah, I was I was 18 when Scream came out and oh, wow. it was the first movie I remember going to see multiple times in the times in the theaters it was just revelatory I, i'd always yeah. liked nightmare on elm street but uh, after seeing scream i just i went back through the whole catalog and got kind of obsessive with them and yeah. um there's a couple projects uh in the works now um colin waddell is is editing um a book that's going to be coming out uh, on edinburgh university press sometime in 2023 called refocus um the films of west craven uh, edinburgh university press has a series on directors called Refocus. They've just released a book on Doris Wishman. There's a, there's a Bud Buttaker. I mean, it really goes all over the place. There's a Roberta Finley one coming out. So a uh, really great press and they, they, they get into the, the under, underappreciated um, works of directors. So yeah, for that book, I, I researched um, and wrote an entire essay just about the Hills Have Eyes part two. Well, <laughs> is is probably the film that is that is least well regarded, and um, yeah, I don't think that will change, but I do think that people will gain a new appreciation for that that film. Okay, uh, and then it just so happens that another uh, collection is is in the works, and for that one, I'm uh, uh, writing about his uh, made for television movies, which I guess, yeah. And that'll be, I guess, the bulk of our, our conversation today. There, he had a really interesting run there in the mid-80s, kind of coinciding with the success of Nightmare on Elm Street, which was a, a critical and box office success, but didn't bring him any money because he had he did not have uh, a great um, a deal with New Line. Um, oh. Uh, he didn't own um, the, the, the rights to the, the, the characters or, or, or anything. So he wasn't getting um, great residuals like, um, like you would see in, in standard contracts today. Yeah. And that's surprising because that's, it's all his creation. Like yeah. it wasn't like done by committee, like that sprang right. Athena like from, you know, his brain. Like that's where Freddie comes from. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, it's amazing. We, maybe we can get into the, the genesis of uh, a nightmare as, as we talk, but one of the things that separates him from the other great horror directors of his time is he didn't go to film school uh, right. or, or work as a professional in film. Uh, Romero, yeah. uh, you know, had all that experience making industrial films. Car yeah. Carpenter went to film school. Hooper went to film school. Um, Craven was uh, teaching English and it had, yeah. it had grown up in a very repressive Christian family. Wasn't even allowed to watch movies until he was uh, in his late teens. Yeah, and he just got it into his head to start making movies. Moved to New York, drove a cab, and and got his first experiences actually in in pornography. Yeah, yeah, that's really wild. I I think that if I remember correctly, like he did, was he involved with the making of Deep Throat or 
Reportedly, yeah. Uh, and uh, it is now listed on his IMDb that he was a crew member. And yeah. I've, I've never heard him in any interviews say that he worked specifically on Deep Throat, but he did participate in a documentary called Inside Deep Throat in which he... Yeah. In which he said he worked on several movies, but wouldn't say what they were. Okay. <laughs> but but we do know for sure that uh, after um, after Last House on the Left, he did direct a pornographic film, um, which is most often known as Angela the Fireworks Woman, uh, and he did it under the pseudonym Abe Snake. Abe Snake. Uh, Abe Snake. But what a title and, and what a what a pseudonym. Yeah, and of course, you know, uh, he could not have anticipated uh, the internet um, because, because he does appear in the movie. It's a non a non sexual oh. role, but he has an acting role in the movie. So there's no way yeah. to deny that he is <laughs> involved in that one. Um, yeah, what a great way to start the show. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, my point in bringing all that up is that uh, is that he more than anyone learned on the set um, yeah and and he said that um uh in in interviews when he discusses his made for television films uh he's he's said and in, in over the years several times something to the effect of these these movies are my film school they don't really represent me as a director but they are important stepping stones i I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd probably push back a little bit i think there are elements in all of these movies that that are that do represent his his style and his themes, um, although yeah. I certainly agree they don't represent his um, masterworks or anything. Yeah, yeah. But tell me about that. Well, first, talk about. Could, I mean, could you kind of give an overview of of what you're talking about? I mean, we talk about some titles and sure, just yeah, sure. So um, we'll 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 go up a, a little bit in his career and just go uh, and get to his first television movie, which was 1978. So this is after Last House on the Left and after The Hills Have Eyes. Yeah. Um, but but before... Um, um, Elm Street. Right, and before, yeah. even, before even Deadly Blessing, which um, um, another one of his lesser known titles. Um, yeah. So 79, he's got... Um, a chance to adapt this um, YA uh, thriller novel. Um, yeah. And it's it's released in two different titles, Summer of Fear, and that's the name of the book by Lois Duncan. Um, yeah. It's also called Stranger in a House. But it has, it has Linda Blair, and this is, um, she's about, what is she, about 18 at the time? Yeah. Um, and she was actually dealing with some addiction issues um, already oh. as, a, as a young person. So um, her perform I don't know if, if or how that affected her performance, but she definitely um, was able to convey a, a lot of the, the tension and sort of anxiety that she's feeling in this, this movie. Cause the, the plot is really um, interesting. Uh, yeah. Uh, her, her mother's sister, her aunt who lives in Arkansas dies. And Lynn, yeah. Linda Blair's family is living in um, uh, California somewhere. Like a horse ranch, right? Horse ranch, right. Yeah. Uh, and um, so they bring the niece, who's about um, Blair's age, they bring the niece out to live with her. Well, turns out that niece isn't a niece at all, but an Ozark witch um, yeah. who, who seduces every male member of the family in the immediate circle, which creates this weird incestual tone um, yeah. As she seduces uh, her uncle, um, yeah. her her cousin, male cousin, um, yeah. and then of course Linda Blair's boyfriend. And um, for most of the movie, you, you're not exactly sure if it's in Linda Blair's head or if it's real, but it's yeah, probably real. Um, but that in, in incestuous uh, theme also kind of reappears in. Angela, the fireworks woman, the pornographic movie they made, and in um, uh, Hills Have Eyes a little bit. Uh, mm -hmm. um, so it, it's kind of strange and unsettling to see it appear so many times when, of course, his primary theme is this darkness that comes from inside of families. So yeah, it makes sense in that context. Um, yeah. 
yeah so uh, the, the the movie is uh it's pretty good looking um you know he had a, he had a decent budget more than he had for hills have eyes sure certainly yeah and he said in interviews it was the first time that he'd gotten to use a professional dolly uh yeah <laughs> uh, a crane to get some overhead shots so so yeah. you can really really see him working um it's got it was one also the first time he could afford fran drescher right young fran drescher yeah. makes an appearance and really yeah really uh, well, uh, enlivens the soundtrack. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, she has, I, I think that she was kind of toting down the uh, Fran Drescher-ness of her yeah. voice, a distinctive vocal cadence, because it it took me a minute. I was like, who's who's this sort of familiar-looking right. actress? And then I'm like, oh, yeah, that's Bobby Fleckman from uh, Spinal Tap right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, she's really good in the best friend role. You know, she, she yeah. she's kind of concerned, but also... In, uh, incredulous about these claims of witchcraft and whatnot yeah and of course the next door neighbor just happens to be an expert on the occult uh yeah he becomes a good resource for Linda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's terrific yeah that's that's one thing i think that horror movies have gotten a little bit away from is you know the occult as something that's really accessible and in every neighborhood yeah like i was uh, i'm doing a uh, i'm recording an episode on the first phantasm Oh yeah. wow! I love that movie, but yeah. So there, and I for, I haven't seen it in years. But sort of like the kid just kind of casually goes into this house where there's like this old fortune teller and his like uh, you know attractive but kind of oddly removed uh, granddaughter. And just seems like yeah, that's just the house down the street. There's a there's a psychic there, and she has real powers. Oh okay, sure. Yeah. Well, that you know, would yeah, coming in coming through the seventies and the and the early eighties, there, there there was right that was kind of a in thing, right? Kind of arising yeah. from self help and and uh, spirituality uh, right. and so on. Yeah, those things all got kind of like stirred into a big yeah. pot, you know. So yeah, we're gonna go over there talk about probiotics and macrame <laughs> and little conjuring, you know, a little right. little fortune telling, but uh. So so that one has two titles. Was it the second title was because it was it like released in theaters in Europe or something like that? Uh yeah, I believe so. I hadn't um researched that. Yep, you're right. Um Okay. Yeah. Well, actually, um I got it backwards. Um the European theatrical release was Summer of Fear and the TV uh NBC TV release was Stranger in Our House. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because you know, throughout the through line, like you said, with a lot of Wes Craven's best known work is this sort of darkness at the center of a family mm -hmm. that's clearly in, you know, last house on the left. Yeah. That's clearly, you know, in, um, in uh, uh, Hills have eyes. And also, but also the other thing is that in, and also, you know, nine right now, to a degree, but um, because it's like the, the sins of the parents are revisited on the children with that, you know, yeah. It's, but with all of those two, there's a thing about um, the bad guys. They're parallels. A moral. He makes moral parallels between like the nominal good guys and the the evil families. Like the good families and the bad families both have interesting shades, you know. And right. I, I don't know if that necessarily shows up in in the the stuff we're talking about today. But oh, I just want to... oh okay, yeah, cool. It does. Yeah, tell me about that then. Um. Well, I guess we can jump to the the next film, right? Um, sure. Yeah. He in um, after Stranger uh, in our house, um, and well, just to give a little context, he did Deadly Blessing in 1981. Uh, young Sharon Stone, Ernest Borgnine. Um, yeah, and that was not a horror movie, right? It was. Yeah, it was. Uh, oh, it was. It was about a religious cult and a, okay. a, a possible demonic presence in a house. Um, in fact, there's a great scene in which one of the characters is taking a bath and a, and a huge snake slithers in to the bathtub. And it's, yeah. shot, it's shot exactly the same way that a few years later, um, the sequence of Heather Langenkamp in the, in the bathtub in Nightmare on Elm Street with uh, Freddy's glove coming out of the water. So, oh, wow. Yeah, if you watch this, if you watch Craven stuff sequentially, you'll see so many... Um, like proto or embryonic um, sequences that then later uh, 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 come up in his in his major works. So, uh, cool. so Deadly Blessing came out. It did okay, uh, and yeah. on the strength 
to that um, Craven did Swamp Thing, which was a disaster. Um, yeah, the movie turned out okay. I think I think it's garnered a cult uh, following with good yeah. reason. But very early comic book adaptation. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he, uh, uh, he, it was a difficult shoot. Um, the the suit kept melting and falling apart. <laughs> didn't have the budget that he needed, and it was a financial uh, failure. So, yeah, uh, that was. But there was a sequel, though. I thought it. I thought it did okay. Yeah, Jim Wynorski directed the sequel. Um, okay. About six or seven years later, with uh, Heather Locklear. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's worth its own podcast. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bring you back for that one. I think I remember seeing that as a kid. I think uh, Heather Locklear kind of dragged me in. <laughs> yeah, it was a staple of uh, late night USA Network. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, sort of thing. Uh, yeah. So. 82, 83, um, between Swamp Thing and Nightmare on Elm Street, which was 84. Yeah. Craven wasn't really working. He was doing some script doctoring. He was pitching some scripts. Um, but but he was he was looking for something to do. And, and yeah. um, he even got to the point, he said that he was thinking of leaving Hollywood. Um, yeah, and, I mean, it's wild to me that he had had these successes. Yeah. But then, like, his career was so precarious, it seemed. Like yeah. the whole time, really. Yeah. Maybe after Scream, but yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, and P so Peter Locke, who had produced The Hills Have Eyes, um, one came up with a, a pretty minuscule budget, but large enough to get started on The Hills Have Eyes too. And yeah, uh, Craven, as as he said um, on several occasions, took it for the money, right? And and yeah. and and to get a little more heat on his name, if you're if you're yeah. if you're making something then yeah. then you're more likely to work so he's he's making um hills have eyes part two at the same yeah. time that he finally inks the deal with new line for the script for um nightmare on elm street and then he yeah. and then he gets offered another television movie at the same time called invitation to hell <laughs> and oh man this one's great it's got an yeah. incredible cast yeah you got, you got robert urich um mm. joanna cassidy yeah, Kevin McCarthy is in it, and uh, two of the all-time great child actors of that time: Barrett Oliver, who everybody knows from uh, *Neverending Story*, and oh, okay. and Saleel Moonfry, Punky Brewster. Oh yeah, 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 sure. So this movie is about, uh, and he really this is this is where where he really starts um, depicting yuppiedom. Um, okay. Summer of Fear, it's kind of a yuppie family, but in a in a sort of rural um uh horse farm right but yeah. th this is like the the suburbanite uh creature comforts materialist uh yuppies really for the first time so yeah yurik is an inventor who, who's just invented a suit that can withstand extreme heat because there's okay. some nasa uh trip to venus being planned sure so he gets a new he gets transferred out to uh Southern California with his family. They move into this posh neighborhood. And, yeah. and the company that has hired him uh, offers an exclusive uh, family uh, membership to this health club run, yeah. by, run by Susan Lucci. And, <laughs> and this health club is actually a portal to hell. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, how does, I guess that would be work for like the sauna. But, yeah. Well, you go through the sauna into uh, the actual hell, and of course, <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. Of course, in the climax, Robbie Urich's got to put on the suit, yeah, venture into hell to save his family. Um, so, what's the scheme there? So, it's like you're they're tricking you into getting into the uh, the gym. Like, it's not enough just that you'll forget to go, and they'll collect all the memberships. Like, <laughs> <laughs> right? It's I, I, the implication is that it's the exclusiveness of the membership, and yeah. And important an important part of your status in this in this company where everybody's kind of upwardly mobile and okay and, and everything and and yeah it is it's this the the whole theme is um you know selling your soul for money and status and 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 materialism and everything um fairly heavy-handed but uh, stylistically this is yeah. where you get some of the first kind of surrealist dream sequences yeah. Interesting. Okay. He, he experiments with a lot of um, dream logic and and um, you know uh, 
surrealist imagery uh, through different points of view and yeah. together, which then, you know, translates into yeah. many of the sequences in Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, it comes to full flower there. I mean, I, I think those are the moments in um, Nightmare on Elm Street where it's like pure cinema, where he's yeah. like, you know, just the simple things. Like I meant like the dream sequence where they go into the school and it's like they have the 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 autumn leaves like blowing into the hallway. Yeah. You know, just like a little touch like that. And you're like, oh, something's really off here, you know, and you can't really explain it. It just sort of gets, it sort of like gets to something like, at the at the core of your being for some reason you know like it's it's great i love that movie yeah yeah it's, it, and and it's crazy to to realize that invitation to hell comes out on abc in may of 1984 yeah nightmare on elm street comes out in november of eight okay so these are the two films that craven released <laughs> in, in 1984 for some reason one's better remembered than the other i don't know why. yes <laughs> were the made for television movies were they well received at the time do you know more or less um most the uh summer of fear got pretty good notices um okay. i don't think lois duncan likes it liked it but you know authors rarely like the adaptations of the, is she um, like a well-known author at all like lois duncan i'm not familiar with her yeah um she's a, a, a young adult fiction writer um probably best known. oh she also wrote i know what you did last summer that's probably what she's best known for oh really yeah is that a book yeah it was a book first oh, i had no idea came out in 1973 uh summer of fear was 76 so oh wow yeah so, so, so Kevin Williamson, right? That's right. the screenwriter's name. Like, yeah, Kevin Williamson connection right there. Right. He wrote yeah. Scream and he wrote, I know what you did last summer. Exactly. Yeah. So Lois yeah. Duncan's got all kinds of Craven Williamson connections there. Interesting. Um, Invitation to Hell uh, got mixed reviews. I think the, the, okay. the acting performances got a lot of praise. I mean, it's a solid cast working with um, pretty cheesy material. Um, yeah, yeah. The premise is kind of bonkers. Like yeah, the other one... Yeah, like a, a, a witch, uh, you know, a witch tangles with a family. It's pretty straightforward, right. you know. Like <laughs> a, a health club that opens up into hell. That's a little. Yeah. And it, yeah. It, it, it's this, uh, and I, I think retro retrospectively, if you, you dig around on the internet and letterboxed reviews and whatnot, um, I think the general consensus is that it's ludicrous, but it's really well put together and paced well. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. So it's it's watchable, you know. Really, really. Yeah. Uh, might want to have a couple beers, you know. <laughs> yeah. So you want to foam the runway a little bit, right? Right. Yeah. Um, but and he kept going, right? The very next year, uh, 1985, he does uh, a film called Chiller, with uh, yeah. Paul Servino and uh, Michael Beck, who's best known from The Warriors. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. And. And because uh, Nightmare on Elm Street takes takes a while to get going, you know, so yeah. it's out. But uh, but Craven's still kind of struggling to to um, get projects together. So, yeah. So he does Chiller, um, and this one's for CBS. So now he's covered all three major networks: <laughs> NBC for Summer of Fear and um, and ABC for Imitation Tale. And this yeah. one, um, I, I I really I like the premise of it. It's another yuppie movie. Um, okay. Uh, uh, Michael Beck plays the the scion of a um, uh, a family uh, um, who owns this big corporation, um, and uh, he dies. And yeah. the mother has him cryogenically frozen so that when they find a cure for for whatever disease killed him, uh, they can thaw him out and and, yeah. uh, and reanimate him. And this, you know, the cryogenic freezing was kind of a a, a hip trend at the time for the rich, kind of like the way the Google people and other tech people are searching for life extending uh, yeah. technology now. Yeah. Um, you know, cause if you're rich, why would you ever want to die? Um, yeah, exactly. And if you're, yeah. And also if you're rich, you're probably never going to get, you're always going to have people around you going like, Hey, if you give me money, right. you will never die. <laughs> exactly. Yeah so, yeah. so they, they unthaw them. Um, they figure out a way to bring them back. And, um, the thing that uh, the thing about this cryogenic freezing is they can reanimate the body, but it doesn't have a soul anymore. Apparently. Oh, okay. So Michael comes back, and uh, Michael Beck comes back, and and he has no soul. So he takes yeah. he takes over the company, 
Yeah. And, and begins behaving heartlessly. It's not really a, it's not really a horror film. It's more of a, yeah. a it's more of a, a mild tragedy, I guess, with a, with okay. a, with a hint of sci-fi. And, oh, interesting. you know, going into it, I thought he was going to have some kind of cold related powers or something, but no, he's, yeah. he's just a heartless CEO. So he's just like raiding the pension fund, yeah, uh, yeah. getting rid of stock, you know, like, or uh, developing and uh, I don't know, protected environmental spaces. Pretty, pretty much. Right. And, and, yeah. and he does kill people, but he does it in ways that avoid culpability, which I think is a nice analogy to, um, corporate misbehavior now uh, okay like he'll he'll uh in one scene um, he causes a, a one of his previously loyal um underlings uh to have a heart attack and then just uh, doesn't give them their heart medicine just like, oh okay to die, right which is pretty much what uh corporations do with uh price gouging uh medications yes. today right yeah no insulin for you right so yeah. so it's a movie that's um uh, again, doesn't have a whole lot of um, nuance to it, but but does have uh, atmosphere and um, craft to it. You can really see some ambition in um, uh, some of the, the montage, some of the in, in shots. You, uh, Craven really gets to use his crane <laughs> uh, in yeah. this movie, um, and and the pacing of, of a dramatic story that that doesn't have. Well, has a mild supernatural element, but not um, not anything like what what he had been doing before. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd say this is the closest, other than music of the heart, <clears throat> music of the heart. This is the closest to a, a straight um, drama that he ever did. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, okay, that'll be interesting. I've never seen music of the heart. I have, I have, however, seen Red Eye. Oh, Red Eye is awesome. Yeah, I actually I don't like Red Eye. I'm I don't. <laughs> No, I mean, I, I think I, you know, uh, I don't know why I didn't like it. I, I, but I remember my brothers had seen it and they're like, that movie, we hated it. You shouldn't see it. And I was like, oh, you, you guys are rubes. You have no taste. So I'm going to watch this movie. And then I was like, damn it. They're right. And that's the only thing I remember about Red Eye. Well, but you think you like it. You think it's good. I, and I'll, I'll tell you why. And uh, yeah, if I ever, whenever I'm teaching and I want to show uh, a, a movie um to to students uh to, to kind of teach editing this yeah. is, this this is high on the list it's so okay. so well paced and and yeah. you know even as it gets ludicrous at the end but but yeah. but especially in this the the long um uh the long act in 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 the plane uh, yeah the way the camera uh moves the way the shots cut together it's just i think it really uh keeps the keeps the the pace, the tension, um, yeah. at a breakneck um, speed. Patrick Lussier, who edited so many of Craven's later films, uh, I think did a really great job on it. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't I'll, put it in my top five or anything, but I, I enjoyed it. I'll watch it again. You know, I, I would check it. I would revisit it with, uh, you know, an open mind. But so, so did he? Did he? Was that the end of his made-for-television career? The uh, the Michael Beck chiller one what i don't know no um yeah no then he then he directed several episodes of the 1980s twilight zone re uh, revival okay i think he did four or five um i'll look that up in a second but um several episodes of that he also uh developed later uh in the late 80s the freddy yeah. freddy's nightmare television show oh yeah uh, yeah yeah toby hooper did the pilot Oh, interesting! Um, Nightmare Cafe, which he directed an episode of. Um, yeah, uh, and that was that was a pretty good one. Um, but no, he um, he went his next um, made for television film. This one will re really blow your mind. Yeah, he did an episode of uh, the Magical World of Disney. <laughs> okay, and, and this was uh, 1986. Yes, 1986, and um, he's got Pat Hingle in this um, in this one. Let me make sure I've got the year right. Yeah, 1986. Yeah. So this is Pat right. Hingle again. Um, Pat Hingle. Let's see. What would you know him best from? He's in 
quick and the dead. Um, but as a younger guy who was uh, in, on the waterfront. Okay. Um, he was uh, in the original Batman series with uh, Adam West. Oh, who did he play? He was um, Jim Gordon. Oh, yeah. I totally, yeah, I totally know who he is. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. I love that show. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of fun. So yeah. this this show is really interesting. So this is 86. Yeah. Um, he's making episodes of the Twilight Zone between 85 and 86. Um, and what? The first sequel for Nightmare on Elm Street is 80, 85, right? So this is all starting to, yeah. to come together. Um, although he had nothing to do with the, the first He had nothing one. to do with that one. And that's the one that uh, people people think is the gay one. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, it's the, the gay metaphor one. Yeah. yeah that's true. Yeah, it's sort of um, that that aside, that interesting reading aside, like, I think there's definitely like a noticeable drop in quality from the first one, from the first Nightmare on Elm Street onto the rest of the series. And then I feel like it, it, the quality, it rises again with Freddy's new nightmare when um, Wes Craven returns to it. Yeah, I, I, I've, I've grown to love all of the uh, the series, but I think, yeah, I think most people will say the, the odd numbered films are the best. <laughs> Okay. Um, because Craven wrote part three and and came back to write and direct part seven. Okay. And the even number. Sort of like the opposite of the Star Trek movies, where the <laughs> yeah. ones are good. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so Case Busters. All right. This is his. Yeah. Uh, this is his. Um, his Disney thing. This is his Disney thing, and this is his yeah. only only straight, you know, family uh, television show, and it's about this retired cop who now is a private detective. Keeping, yeah. keeping the neighborhood safe and his grandkids have come to visit and so, yeah. so they start finding crimes and mysteries to solve um on their in their neighborhood yeah the only the, the reason this film is interesting is that uh the eventual bank robbers that they find uh yeah. are a couple uh a, a guy and a gal and they're very clearly early versions of the couple the evil couple and the people under the stairs. Interesting. And, okay. and in fact, there's a sequence in which they're chasing the kids through the house that is shot for shot uh, out of All right. the stairs. Uh, I forgot about the people under the stairs. That's a pretty good movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that, yeah. that would be 1989. So you can, yeah. you can kind of see how his TV work is paralleling uh, his, his, his film work. Yeah, oh, he's trying out some stuff. Right. Yeah, he's trying out, you know, trying out some moves and that'll, you know, so, you know, like a rehearsal almost. Right. Yeah. And, um, and but that's not his last one. He's got one more in 1990. Yeah. Um, not late. That's interesting. Uh, which is called Night Visions. Now, of all of his television work, this is the only thing that hasn't gotten released. You can get crappy DVDs of, of all of the films. Uh, you, can, yeah. you can get a pretty decent Blu-ray of Summer of Fear. But night visions, yeah. night visions, I've only found on um, uh, YouTube. Yeah, I watch Summer of Fear on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think all of them pretty much are on on there. But uh, night yeah. visions is really interesting. It was very clearly influenced by, um, well, I want to say it was influenced by the X Files. But the X Files, when did that even come out? Um, I think ninety one ish. I think. Yeah. No, wait, no, 94, 95. Oh, okay, so this is before. Well, maybe the X-Files um, ripped Craven off. Uh, maybe, I don't know. Because what you got is a um, uh, a fiery cop played by James Remar. Yeah. So that's his, That's Craven's second Warriors uh, cast <laughs> coaching. Uh, nice. And um, a, a, um, a psychic who, yeah. who can project herself... She's got the worst psychic power ever. She can yeah. she can place her consciousness into the body of someone who is about to be victimized. Oh, that sucks. Not the time you want to jump in. No, no. <laughs> that's like, yeah, that's I was gonna say, how how could that be worse than um who's the Star Trek next generation lady who like feels emotions? Oh, yeah, Troy. Uh, he's a he is afraid. Yeah, he's worried. Like, yeah, I could tell. He's like shaking, <laughs> sweating and stuff. Thanks a lot. <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, yeah so night visions 
I think was supposed to be a backdoor pilot because um, it ends on a cliffhanger and there's and there's some um, well it doesn't end on a cliffhanger it ends with the reluctant partnership becoming warm and and them talking about solving more mysteries but uh, okay but Lauren Lachlan's character has a, a dead father who who whose mystery hasn't been solved so you assume that if it had gone to series that would have been okay where they go yeah and I, I should say I misspoke I said uh, people on the stairs was eighty nine. Actually, Shocker was eighty nine, and okay, yeah. on the stairs was ninety one. So these these are the three projects he has back to back, and both and so Shocker was an attempt to f- start a new franchise, right? Um, and then and then Night Visions was was an, an attempt to to start a new series, yeah, uh, and and both went nowhere, uh, unfortunately. Uh, Shocker certainly has got, uh, gotten um, attained cult status at this point, but not a lot yeah. of people know Night Visions. Um, yeah, which you know uh, is partly explained by the fact that it's never been released. Uh, yeah, you you can even get Case Busters on Amazon Prime, but you can't you can't yeah. find <laughs> Night Visions unless yeah. unless somebody hosts it on YouTube. Yeah, uh, and it's a it's a solid you know. Uh, you know, cop action thriller with yeah. uh, James Remar being your, your typical hot-headed, um, played by my own rules, uh, yeah. cop, and 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 Lauren Lachlan is the inexperienced but um, moral center of the yeah. <laughs> investigative team. <laughs> and what do they end up uh, trying to solve? Like, what are they investigating? Oh man, that's the best part. Yeah. Uh, Oh, and I should mention Mitch Pelegi from Shocker and X-Files is in this as the police uh, captain. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, okay, so the mystery they're trying to solve is this um, serial killer yeah. uh, who is dubbed by the media the Spread Eagle Killer. Uh, okay. So you'd think this is another one of Craven's pornography uh, films. <laughs> but no, I, yeah. <laughs> but no, in fact, it's because the killer... Uh, leaves a signature by slightly spreading the legs of all of his victims. Huh. Uh, so this is another one on NBC. I, I imagine it would have been a little more grisly uh, yeah. if they'd been able to make it for cable or something. But uh, yeah. but uh, it's <laughs> so it's a I, I still every time I, I've seen the movie now three or four times and every yeah. time they say the spread eagle killer the 14 year old just starts laughing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But they eventually get him. Yeah, they get him. Yeah. Does it turn out to be like a vampire or like an alien or something? Nah, it's some uh, guy. <laughs> yeah, just some guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's disappointing. I wanted it to be yeah, because you said the X Files before, and I'm like, I was thinking of like, what's that? I just know of it. I've never seen it. the '70s thing uh, with the guy from A Christmas Story. Right, cold Yeah, yeah. He like is like. I think he's like um, investigating a murder. It turns out to be like a vampire or something like that. Yeah, that would have been kind of cool. But uh, oh well, what can you do? Yeah, so um, I don't know why, but uh, I was kind of harboring the misconception that X Files came before Night Visions, but uh, but it actually was three years after. Interesting. Yeah, maybe that idea was just kind of in the water, you know. Yeah, and certainly you know mismatched. cop partners um, yeah is a is a trope but uh but the the psychical element um of the um of the movie kind of brings it once again into uh craven's bag because um lauren lachlan's character has these visions yeah and there's there's a dream sequence in this film that is truly terrifying really Uh, yeah she has a nightmare uh, of being stalked through her house, and it is really well done. Oh, nice! Uh, that's the moment where, if you're familiar with Craven, you'll know that this is a Craven movie. Mm-hmm. So, I when when did Scream come out? Ninety six. Ninety six. So, and that I feel like that made him West. Like he, I, I felt like he he's too big to fail with Scream. Right? Like once Scream is out. And he, yeah. I think, because he, he, he kept with that too. Like the screen movies are, the, the first couple of them at least are all him, I believe, right? The first four. He wow. did. All, he did all of the all of the uh, original 
um, series. Yeah, so that was that was interesting because you know after after Night Visions, yeah, um, Nightmare Cafe runs for a season in '92, and he directed one episode of that. He also co-created a sitcom um, that I've never heard of or seen. Um, oh, wait a second! I think I might. Is is it like um, the guy from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, or something like that? It may be I, like the principal. It's called the print of the people next door. Oh, maybe I'm not thinking. Yeah, it does. It does. It's Jeffrey Jones. Yeah, Jeffrey Jones. Yeah, who is unsavory character in real life, but yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, but anyway, I've seen the opening credits of that, and I think he might be like an illustrator, and then like his illustrations come to life or something of that nature that's what wikipedia is telling me right now yeah oh, yeah so um wikipedia says the series proved to be a ratings disaster yes and was canceled after only five of its 10 episodes were aired so i'll, right. I'll have to look around on youtube and see if i can find one yeah i don't know if it was just sort of the ambient bummerness of having jeffrey jones as the lead <laughs> or what but yeah I, I think that one really crashed and burned pretty pretty hard yeah so that one that one's also 89 yeah the nightmare cafe was the last thing he did for for television yeah um, and we have people in the stairs in 91 new nightmare in 94 yeah and, and neither of those i don't think either of those those are both like well-liked movies but i don't think that either of them were big hits um yeah people in the stairs did okay um did okay but it wasn't um i wouldn't call it a blockbuster or anything yeah uh, new and nightmare which is which is a terrific movie yeah that one's terrific and um just to get a, a, just a brief sort of aside uh a couple of years ago i did an, an article that was fairly well read about like looking into what inspired like the real story behind um nightmare on elm street oh yeah yeah and That's it was all about piece. oh thank you yeah uh, so it was all about like what I found because uh, Wes Craven always said it was like I, I, like Thai immigrants or something. But I looked into it that he read these stories about Thai immigrants dying in their sleep in like um, uh, the Los Angeles Times, and he said it was just like a small notice. But then I looked into it, and there's like it was a bigger story than he implied, and it was it was. Um, uh laotians there's a mong from 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 laos and uh it kind of was a big national story for a couple weeks like there was this thing about real life sleep deaths um and uh the reason i'm bringing this up is because the new nightmare Mm -hmm. that that later uh movie it kind of it almost goes back into the reality of it like almost like pulls the the reality of of the inspiration into the movie series in a really in a in a really like interesting way and a really actually honestly a terrifying way like it even gets a little bit more a little bit more shine on it if you know like some of the backstory from it i think yeah yeah it's absolutely amazing and and so right that transition from the really nightmarish dream sequences in night visions yeah uh and and to new nightmare which t- takes it to a whole new level yeah it's really really interesting yeah um, yeah and, and then, then oh yeah go on please no no after you please oh i was gonna say like the thing that seemed to carry over from new nightmare to scream is like the awareness of this is a horror movie and this is what happens and like sort of knowing that your audience is actively thinking about all these things i would say right it's like it's like the whole it's like in scream the whole film becomes the dream yes right where you've got this this sort of um genre that 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 you recognize and so as as you watch it as a horror fan yeah you're having feelings of deja vu even as the characters are talking about um how they feel these feelings of deja vu because they yeah. recognize the tropes of the of the horror film right but they're all like uh the guy at the appointment in samara like they can't escape their doom like no matter where they go 
you know, you, you no matter how much they know these things, it doesn't help them. You yeah. know, know how it's going to go. And still all these things happen. Right. Sydney runs up the stairs instead of out the front door. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But that um, one also, I think that the, yeah, there's the, there's the awareness of it. There's this like self-awareness to it. But there's also the who done, I think the really who done it mystery. Like it's almost like an Agatha Christie, mm-hmm. plot, you know, trying to figure out who the murderer is and a lot of red herrings and all those things, right. which I think is, I, I don't, I mean, you know, horror movies better than I do for sure. But I, I think that that was sort of, I guess emphasizing that that much was new, right? Yeah. I mean, certainly there have been, um, several horror films that were parodies of their of their own genre um yeah i'm, I'm thinking of uh of um oh all the all the titles are leaving me now like saturday uh, the 14th or saturday um, the 14th yeah that's that's one um there's one that's kind of good uh fuck. uh uh, it's on. A t- I actually have the. V- my wife bought the VHS. It's upstairs in my attic right now, and I'm tempted to go run up and get it. But student bodies. That's that's the one. The one. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, student oh, bodies. Yeah. yeah. So that that one's probably the most right uh, slasher specific uh, parody. Um, you know, but- th- this is not a movie I've seen all the way through. But I, from what I understand, uh, Slumber Party Massacre. That was exactly what I was going to bring up next. Oh yeah, talk about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk about that. <laughs> I actually wrote part of my master's thesis on slumber party massacre. Oh wow, it's interesting. <laughs> I don't know if my uh, advisors thought so, but uh, <laughs> yeah. So I know I know this is off the Craven topic, but I I, I yeah. do love the song. That's the only series, and there's there's three of them uh, that's completely written, directed, produced by women. Yeah, right. d- different group of women for each one. Um, but uh, the the first one was. Uh, the original screenplay is by um, uh, Rita Mae Brown, yeah, who had written um, the the first major hit novel that was explicitly about a lesbian character called Ruby Fruit Jungle. Okay, you can actually see a copy of the book on a table in, in Slumber Party Massacre. So she she had written a script called Sleepless Nights, which then uh, Corman got a hold of. And Roger Corman, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was rewritten and and retitled Slumber Party Massacre and um Amy Jones um uh got to direct it, um or Amy Holden Jones, I should say. Um and uh she she parlayed that uh into a second movie, um uh, Love Letters starring Jamie Lee Curtis and then went on to uh, produce and direct, and she's probably best known for the Beethoven movies. Those big dog, <laughs> movie. yeah, I remember those. <laughs> Some of those, but yeah. Uh, so the point being, um, Slumber Party Massacre kind of satire uh, was a satire of the uh, the gendered uh, tropes in slasher yeah. movies. Right? The, and wasn't there an element like it was? From my, tell me if I'm wrong, but my understanding was that the script was written as a satire, as yeah. intended as a satire, but then it was filmed as just like a real slasher movie, right? More or less? Yeah, yeah, it was filmed straight, but I mean, the, the humor is still there, and, and, okay. and uh, Amy Holden-Jones certainly knew it was, as did the, the cast. Um, yeah. There's, there are a lot of um, a lot of really broad jokes in the movie, like, for example, uh, some girls are uh, eating pizza that that's sitting on the dead body of the delivery guy. <laughs> <laughs> Stuff like that. Um, a lot of phallic imagery, castration yeah. stuff. I mean, it's it's great. Um, yeah. I gotta go. Back. I think I put it on. I wasn't in the mood for it, so I'll go back. I think it's it was on Shutter. It might still be. I don't know. It might be. Yeah. But 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 back to Craven and speaking yeah. of horror comedies, his yeah. next, his next movie after Night New Nightmare is Vampire in Brooklyn. With, oh uh, right, that 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 movie with Eddie Murphy. Um, yeah, and there, there were. Um, and Kadeem Hardison, Kadeem Hardison, yeah, and uh, um, there were there were some. What I, from what I've read, uh, there were some kind of differences of opinion on on how the film should go. Um, yeah. Uh, with um, I and I believe Eddie Murphy wanted there to be less comedy. 
Yeah, I might be getting good. I might be getting that wrong. It really has great atmosphere and several yeah. cool dream sequences. Um, I, I think it holds up. I mean, it, it was not a success when it came out, no. but I, I think it holds up pretty well. I, I enjoy it. Yeah, um, Angela, I, up, I love. Um, oh, was Angela Bassett in that movie? Yeah, she was great. Okay. I I had I had to go back. I love Eddie Murphy. I have this whole thing about like peak Eddie Murphy, which starts with like uh trading places and basically ends probably like the last gasp of it in my mind is the golden child uh mm -hmm. just but everything that kind of comes between that is pretty i i love that shit like you know like mm -hmm. obviously uh, uh uh why am i forgetting the nick nolte movie one of the greatest movies of all time oh uh, 48 hours 48 hours you know beverly beverly Hills cop one of the most entertaining fun movies ever made yeah. you know um and all his stand-up specials, his Saturday Night Live stuff. It's all great. But then at some point, he got a little too big for his britches, I think. You know, he kind of got a little egotistical and his movies suffered as a result. It seemed, you know, as a fan, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, he's certainly um, in the mid-late 90s or through the early 2000s was a pretty fallow period until, I guess, I think Bowfinger was the one that, that, got a lot of critical uh praise but he didn't have a, a real hit again until dr doolittle right yeah well he had dr doolittle he had the nutty professor right he, he was yeah he was a big kid kid move like family movie box office draw draw but i don't think those are movies that are really fondly remembered for the most part no no yeah. it was really not until dream girls that he kind of came yeah. back into the into the yeah. limelight if you haven't seen it, Dolomite is my name, that Netflix thing. Oh, yeah. That's terrific. That is firing on all cylinders. Eddie Murphy and every like it's a, it's an incredible movie. Yeah. I love that movie. Yeah. I'm a little biased because I once met uh, Rudy Ray Moore. So I was sort of in the, in the tank for that movie anyway. Yeah. yeah. I just got uh, the biography of Rudy Ray Moore that... Um, Grindhouse distribution, Grindhouse releasing put out. Let me check the author on that. Oh, I don't have it on hand, but. Oh, that's all right. I think I know the book you're, I think, wasn't it the same guy or the same team who did like an the Ed Wood biography? Or am I thinking, or I don't know. I think there's a connection there between Ed Wood and Dolomite, because they're very similar movies, you know, like the, the Tim Burton right. movie and the Dolomite movie, but um. Oh, the film version. Uh, yeah, the film version. Yeah, yeah. But I think the book, the the book research. Uh, I'm talking. I'm. I'm. I. I'm. I'm probably wrong. I'm probably wasting everybody's time. And I'm sorry. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah. So back to Wes Craven. So he makes the four Scream movies. Mm -hmm. He makes one terrible vampire. Oh no, werewolf movie. That's not his fault for being terrible. <laughs> and. uh Right, cursed, yeah. yeah, cursed, and I don't, I forget what else. I forget uh, what else. My soul to take. What was that? Oh yeah, I, red eye. We also already talked about. Yeah, my soul to take. What's my soul to take? Oh, in the the drama, whatever that is. The music from the heart with, with yeah. Meryl Streep and Gloria Estefan. So that, <laughs> and that was that was in his that that was part of his deal to come back to direct the uh, Scream sequels was he wanted a straight drama. Oh wow! And and that's what he chose. My my uh, music of the heart, which yeah. is for if there's any listeners that haven't haven't heard of it, it's uh, based on a true story about um, uh, Roberta uh, Gaspari, who was a violin teacher. Okay. And um, co-founded uh, the Harlem School of Music and and was an advocate for music education funding and. New York public schools. Oh wow! And you know, uh, it's it's. I think it's been kind of categorized in one of those white savior type of. Narrative. Yeah, that's the way the context I know it. Yeah, it's a white teacher going into a, an inner city school that's mostly minority children. Yeah. But but two things kind of elevate it. One, it it's more or less a true story. Yeah. Uh, and and two, it's a, it's a it's it's a working class, mom, you know, single mom, who um, is is trying to um, you know increase this access to to music education, 
um, to to all the kids. Yeah. And, and I think Meryl, you know, it's definitely not the kind of movie that I typically watch. Yeah. <laughs> but but when it came out in the theaters, I remember going to see it uh, and really enjoying it. Uh, okay. It's, it's well made, and I would argue. Yeah. That especially in the sequences in which um, music performance is going on, mm-hmm. that, that some of that dream language that characterizes um, Craven's other work um, yeah. comes through, comes through a music of the heart too. I, I, I can recommend that movie to people without reservation, as long yeah. as they know that they're watching, uh, you know, a schmaltzy drama. Yeah. But, but in that genre, it's, it's really one of the better, better films. And it's also, also has Angela Bassett. So Angela Bassett, a terrific actress. Um, all right. Well, I am sorry. I, this is about the the limit of, of what sure. I can do today. But man, it's great to talk to you. I'm glad that we got this down. And uh, thanks again. Oh, I want yeah. So figure out the next thing you want to talk to me about. Uh, just maybe. Have you ever seen a movie called The Sender? It's like an '80s kind of psychic thing. 80, like early 80s Ooh. psychic horror movie. Oh, 1982. Oh, I like yeah. the I like the cast. That looks cool. Yeah, it's I can watch that. That's yeah, I I I stumbled on that movie recently. Just sort of you know, I saw some I can't find the source of it, but if you go to the Wikipedia page for that movie, it says that like Quentin Tarantino said it was the best horror movie of 1982. And I was like, did he go through like year by year and say what were the best horror movies or why, why would he say that? I can't find like the source of that, right. but that, that was the thing that got me. But the same, yeah, it's, and it's, some of it is very surprisingly good. Mm-hmm. Like some of the sequences are surprisingly good, but overall uh, I think it's kind of a mixed bag, but that might be an interesting movie to talk about. Yeah, I'll I'll check it out. I, I definitely want to see if it's better than Cat People and Basket Case. I just looked up a list of 1982 horror films. <laughs> oh, ba- no, what could be better than Basket Case, man? Basket Case is terrific. Oh no, yeah, know. I think that like dollar for dollar, that's the best movie ever made. If a story that it cost five thousand dollars is true, that is the the most the best use of money in the history of cinema. Oh man, and I, and Frank Henenlotter, what a great. Uh, exploitation uh hero I, I i love all of his films yeah 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 is he the he did frankenhooker too yeah. right that movie, <laughs> that movie is terrific too that one's great too like the guy who the guy who stars in that movie that's one of the best acting performances i've ever seen he should have been a star james absolutely he's so funny he is so funny and he's just in every frame of that movie and he's talking and is no we should talk about frankenhooker and basket case i think that's it <laughs> We'll, we'll put the let's put the sender on the shelf. That's an interesting thing, but I think that we can we already we're already firing in all cylinders with. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, that would be real fun. And that'd be that'll be that'll be a little easier because he's only made uh, eight or nine movies, so we won't have much ground to cover. Well, the sender guy, all, I think that the the sent the guy who did the sender also did like, um, Battlefield Earth, that Scientology movie. No way. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I just found the I found the sender and put it in my uh, list, so I'm gonna I'm gonna check it yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, yeah. He did like I I think that he was like a Star Wars effects guy. Like he was in like the Lucasfilm thing, and I from I haven't watched it, but you can find it online. Uh, he made a short film. It's like a medieval kind of night thing in like the late seventies or early eighties. That was shown before Empire Strikes Back in the theaters in I think in like the UK, like yeah. it was yeah. And you can find that, and that I haven't watched the whole thing, but you can tell like that's a really well made short film. Black yeah. An- Black Angels, what it's called? Yeah, Black Angels. That one, that one's interesting. But then he went on to make like what's considered to be one of the worst movies of all time. But you watch, yeah. So that might be the that might be the thing to talk about with him. Yeah, but hey, I love I'd love to come back and talk Hennemar. Thanks, uh, awesome. All right, thanks a lot, Will. Thanks for having me. I'll see oh, you. Oh yeah, of course, man. Anytime. All right, I'll talk to you soon. Bye.